Thank you for joining us today. We'll continue our study of the first letter of Paul to Timothy. We'll be discussing false teaching in our churches today, as well as how some people can fall away from faith. We'll also discuss the final judgment of both believers and non-believers. So if you'll open up your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 4, we'll begin our lesson. Let me open us up in prayer. Our Father in heaven, I thank you for this day and I thank you for this group. And thank you for all the revelation that you've given us in your word. We are so blessed to have your word to study. It's the owner's manual that you've given us. And there's just so many people that don't spend any time in it. And I'm so thankful for this group and the discussions that you guide And I ask you to guide our discussions today, speak through me, speak through others who speak up, so that we can all continue to grow in our personal relationship with you and live out our lives in a way that brings glory to you, not to ourselves. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we are continuing in 1 Timothy, and we left off in chapter 3 last time, and where we left off... Paul had left us with the central truth of our Christian faith, which is Jesus Christ. We saw in verse 16, which actually was maybe one of the first creeds of the church, that Jesus Christ came down, became flesh, was crucified, bore the debt for our sins, which payment was acceptable to God the Father because he then ascended back to heaven and is seated at his right hand. That's where we left off. And now Paul is going to discuss false teachers. The Bible teaches in so many places that there are going to be false teachers among us. And I'll show you some of those verses here in a minute. I've showed some of them to you before. But it also teaches us that we're to deal directly and firmly when we come across false teaching that's contrary to what's in the Bible. And, of course, that is so contrary to what our culture teaches, which is tolerance, and we're to be tolerant of others and tolerant of whatever else they come up with, even though it's not true. Intolerance is really just tolerating error in God's Word. When you do that, you're actually dishonoring God. Let me show you one verse on that. I'll just go over there because it's short. I'm going to go over to the second epistle of John, not the Gospel of John. And I'm going to be in verse 8. There's no chapters in Second John. So I'll be in verse 8 through 11. It says, Watch yourselves that you might not lose what we have accomplished, but that you may receive a full reward. And I'm going to talk about that here shortly. Anyone who goes too far and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. The one who abides in the teaching, he has both the Father and the Son. And so what we're going to be reading about a little bit today is something called apostasy, which means falling away, turning away, turning away from God. There's been much discussion on whether is Paul talking about people who are true believers that then sort of go off on a tangent and start living a life of sin. Is that who he's talking about? Or is he talking about people who never had true saving faith? And I'm going to show you some verses on that as well. And it's my belief from reading in the scriptures that if you have true saving faith, then you will always have true saving faith because there's verses, for instance, that say the work that God begins in us as Christians, he will complete that. And anyone who the Father gives to Jesus, he will not lose any which there's so many verses like that that tell me 
our faith that he has given us, and once we receive the gift and we receive the Holy Spirit, that that cannot be lost. But there are people who will initially, at least outwardly, we may think that they are believers. They may even say that they are believers, but they don't really ever have true saving faith, and they eventually fall away. And so these verses can apply to either one of those, and I'm going to give us a little more detail on that as we go through. But false teaching is really any teaching that denies God's word in Scripture or uses a black highlighter and says that it doesn't apply anymore, which we see in many of our churches today. So that's what we're going to be talking about. Okay, so let's begin. Chapter 4, verse 1. But the Spirit explicitly says that in later times, so that's later times when you see that, that most of the time means the time between Jesus' first and second coming. These are the later times. Some will fall away from the faith. So this is a warning to us. This is basically saying that there are going to be people who fall away from the faith. Paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. So you can see it's Satan. Satan uses humans as his instrument. And there's many examples in the New Testament of people who initially appeared to be believers, but then later rejected Jesus. A great example of that that we looked at some not too long ago is Judas Iscariot. You remember even Jesus chose him as an apostle and poured into him for three years. Judas was right there with him and gave him power. He was going out doing miracles with the other apostles, and yet Judas rejected Jesus. Some people say, how do you know that? And let me just show you. So you don't think I'm making this stuff up. I never want you to base anything on my opinion. I want you to see the Word of God. I'm going to go over to John 6. You don't have to go over there unless you want to. The fourth gospel in our New Testament. I'll show you just a couple of verses real quick. I'm going to dig into this example. Others I'm going to go much more quickly. Because we were studying Judas not long ago. John 6, and I'll begin in verse 70. It says, Jesus answered them. He's talking to the apostles. He says, did I myself not choose you, the 12, and yet one of you is a devil? Verse 71, now he meant, now Jesus meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the 12, was going to betray him. And then stay in John and flip over to John 17. If you're following along here, you may just be listening. Again, just a couple of verses. Let me show you that. I'll go to John 17, verse 12. This is Jesus talking. While I was with them, I was keeping them in thy name, talking about the Father, which thou hast given me. And I guarded them, and not one of them perished, but, so he's saying not one of them perished except for one, the son of perdition. And son of perdition, that means a state of eternal punishment. So that's saying that Judas did not make it. Judas will be with Satan in eternity. And it says that the scripture might be fulfilled. If you want one more, I think we have time. Let me show you one more. I'll go over there real quick. Matthew 26, verse 24. This is Jesus talking. He says, The Son of Man is to go just as it is written of him, but woe to that man through whom the Son of Man is betrayed. This is talking about Judas, and you'll see because he says that in the next verse. It would have been good for that man if he had not been born. And then verse 25, and Judas, who was betraying him, answered and said, Surely it's not I, Rabbi. And Jesus said to him, You have said it yourself. 
I don't think Jesus would tell someone who's going to heaven it would be better if you had not been born. Anyway, that's an example of someone who at least initially, believe me, the other apostles, they had no idea it was Judas was going to be the one to betray Jesus. Another couple of examples, we've got Demas is mentioned in 2 Timothy 4.10. We'll see that soon. Just let me go read that real quick to you. We'll get over there in the coming weeks. It says, For Demas, having loved this present world, he deserted me. So that's one who just took off and left. Also, you remember when we were in 1 Timothy 1, and let me go over there real quick, beginning in verse 18, he mentions a couple of other people who left the faith. He says, This command I entrust to you, Timothy, my son, in accordance with the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by keeping them you might fight the good fight, keeping faith and good conscience. Here it is which some have rejected and suffered shipwreck in regard to their faith. Among these are Hymenaeus and Alexander, who I have delivered over to Satan, so that they may be taught not to blaspheme. So it happens. And we all, I would guess, know people who that has happened to. It happens. And we're warned that Satan uses people as his instruments of false teaching And we're told in the Bible they actually disguise themselves as angels of light. Let me show you where I get that from. 2 Corinthians. They stand in our pulpits. And some of you I know have recently left a church that fits this category because of the false teaching over there. 2 Corinthians 11.14. And it says, And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So Satan comes into the church as a false friend, not an open enemy in some cases. He will stand in the pulpit. It says in verse 15, Therefore it is not surprising if Satan's servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their deeds. So what happens is, and it's so sad, so many people are just biblically illiterate. And I'm not talking about you. You all come to this every week. But there are so many people that never open up this book. And so they go to a church and they hear somebody in the pulpit saying whatever they are saying. And they think, well, that person went to seminary, so they must be speaking truth. And it's not. And they're leading people astray. And if you don't know your Bible, you don't know that. And so these people, they're gullible because they don't know truth and they don't know how to discern error. Hey, Larry. Yes. Somebody at our church, when we were going through all that stuff, said that theology doesn't matter. Sure, yeah. You can make up anything you want when you're an instrument of Satan, and that's what happened. And then people start believing it. It's like some of these verses don't apply anymore. The culture has changed, and so we don't apply this anymore. I mean, if you're in a church like that, I'm telling you, if they keep teaching things that are contrary to the Bible, you need to get out of there because that's what this is talking about, flee false teaching. Okay, let me go back where we left off. So we were in verse 1, and here's how they do it. They do it by means of the hypocrisy of liars seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron. So Satan's brand is on them. It destroys their conscience. They're not able to communicate truth. And by the way, I've said this. This includes pastors, seminary professors. They can become instruments of Satan. I can give you example after example. I've seen it. Others of you have seen it. 
And now he's going to give some examples, at least at that time, some of the false teaching that was going on that he's warning Timothy of. He says, men who forbid marriage. So what they were doing is there were some people who were saying, if you truly want to be a Christian, then you shouldn't be married. And even you got to get divorced so you can devote yourself to Christ. Well, that's false teaching. There are people that God places on their heart to remain single and remain celibate, and that is a blessing. If you've been chosen by God and designed to be single, if you want to read about that, that's over in, I think it's in 1 Corinthians 7, verses 25 through 35. But that's not what God commanded everyone. And then he goes on, he says, There's some who are advocating for abstaining from foods which God has created to be gratefully shared by those who believe and know the truth. They were just making up rules. They're making up all kinds of legalistic things. And that is one thing that you do see quite a bit in false religion. They will devise these human efforts, these legalistic things, that if you do these things, they'll cover your sin or they can earn your way to salvation or do these various rules and that will bring blessing upon you. And there's so many denominations and religions that that's what they preach, and that's all false. That's false teaching. He says in verse 4, For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with gratitude. Now, let me clarify this. He's not saying everything is good for us to use. For instance, it wouldn't be good for us to drink poison. It's not good for us to spend any time in pornography. So not everything is good. Everything is good if it can be used in a way that brings glory to God, is what he is saying. Also, what some of the false teachers were doing here is they were saying self-denial is a way to earn salvation. And again, that's false teaching as well. He says in verse 5, For it is sanctified, and sanctified means set apart for proper use. It is sanctified by means of the word of God and prayer. And so pray, give thanks for God's gifts that he gives us, study the word, know what God's will is for proper use of the things that he provides to us. Verse 6, in pointing out these things to the brethren, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, constantly nourished on the word of the faith and of the sound doctrine which you have been following. Paul's telling us that the way to be an effective servant for Christ is, is to use gentle persuasion to expose false doctrine when people say things that you know are not correct biblically, to try to help them see the error of their thinking. Hey, it was just like me, as I've told you all many, many times. I grew up as a small boy in the Catholic Church, and I thought everything I was being taught was what God wanted me to know. And it wasn't until I started reading the Bible that I realized that many of the doctrines I was being taught were not biblical. In fact, the Bible actually taught the opposite. And so you've got to read the Bible to understand what God's word is and what God's instructions are. It's like I've told many people. I have this discussion with people all the time. They go, but Larry, that's not what I was taught. And I go, I know that's not what I was taught either. You got two choices. You can go with tradition and what men have come up with to add to the Bible, or you can believe what God wrote in his Bible. So those are your two choices. And for me, I choose to stay with what God wrote in his Bible. And if there's anything that's contrary to that, I'm not going with it. It's pretty simple when you do it that way. So what we need most comes from Jesus and God's word. I think Paul is saying here, don't get caught up in the culture. 
have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, please don't believe everything you hear, even if it's at a church. Always be comparing what you hear with what's in God's Word, what's in Scripture. We'll get over there eventually, but let me show you something else in 2 Timothy 4. It says, I solemnly charge you, this is Paul, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom. He's telling Timothy this, but I think he's telling all Christians this. Preach the word, so that means tell people the gospel, share the gospel with them, explain the gospel to them. Be ready in season and out of season. What does that mean? That means do it when you feel like it and do it when you don't feel like it. That means those times, and I've told you this is what I worry about when I get in front of Jesus at the judgment seat of Christ, all those opportunities that he gave me to share the gospel with people, and I'm going like, man, I'm late for a meeting, or I've got things that I'm trying to get done. I don't have time for that right now. No, he's saying do it in season and out of season when I put it on your heart to share it with somebody. Reprove, rebuke, exhort, which means encourage, with great patience. Sometimes we have to be very patient with people because they have been taught false doctrine, and that's what they really believe, and we've got to be patient with them. I've mentioned this several times to you all. It took me decades working with my dad until finally one day he goes, you know, I've been reading the Bible, and I know I can see now what you've been saying. That is the truth. Will you help me pray that simple prayer to place my faith in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior? I want to do it right. So you just got to be patient and instruction. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. This is our culture. But wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. And that's why we see some of these churches splitting up today. They're going like, you know, I'm not going with any of that stuff. Take homosexuality or gender and all this kind of nonsense that's not truth. And they're saying, I'm not going to believe any of those verses anymore that are in the Bible. And churches are breaking up over that. They're splitting because some people are saying, no, the pastor is telling me I don't need to believe that anymore. That's no longer a sin And I shared this with you. There was another church recently that people were telling me, the pastor was saying, it's not even a sin to have sex outside of marriage anymore. As long as you don't feel it's a sin, God hadn't put that on your heart, go for it. It's crazy, but that's what his congregation wanted to hear. So they're going, oh, we like this. Yeah, this is scratch me more behind my ears. That's what this is talking about. Okay, let's go back over to the text. 1 Timothy 4. Verse 7, but have nothing to do with worldly fables fit only for old women. What does this mean? Fables means the opposite of biblical truth. That's what he's talking about. And to really understand what he's saying here, back in the time of this writing, women weren't given the educational opportunities that men were given. They just weren't. The term fit for old women was a term that meant lacking credibility, uninformed, you know, appealing to the uneducated. That's really what that means. And as I said a few minutes ago, so many people are just biblically illiterate and don't spend any time in the Bible, so they don't know when they're hearing false teaching. And he's saying, have nothing to do with it. He says, on the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. So spend time in the Word. Spend time in prayer. Spend time studying scriptures. And I appreciate you all being here because that's what we do here. Verse 8, 
He says, for bodily discipline is of little profit. So for those of you who don't like exercise, you're going to really cling to that verse. You're going to say, see, it's biblical. I'm supposed to sit on the couch and just work the remote control for the TV. That's not what he's saying. He's saying it's of little profit for eternity. Remember, our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are the church, the body of Christ. The Holy Spirit lives in us. We should be taking care of his house. Okay, so you should take care of yourself. But what he's saying is physical training is good, but focus on God is better. So physical training helps us in this life, but spiritual discipline, prayer, and studying Scripture helps us not only in this life, but in our life to come in eternity. There are eternal benefits to that. He says, but godliness is profitable for all things since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. So it benefits our body and soul here and in the life to come. He says, it is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance. It's self-evident from Scripture. This is biblical truth that he is teaching. And let me just say this, just as something for all of us to think about. Many of us have older kids now, but it's a good question to think about in terms of application. Is your legacy, your focus really to leave a mark on the kingdom of God? rather than the kingdom of man. Are you trying to leave a mark to try to help people get into the kingdom of God? Some examples of that for those who have younger kids. For some reason, they schedule a lot of Little League on Sundays these days. (laughs) It just is part of it. Man, don't let it just totally displace your attendance and going to church. It's not you're earning your way by going to church. But that's fellowship. We're designed to have fellowship and go to church and worship the Lord. Model Jesus to your family by reading the Bible with them, with your family and with your spouse. Get your kids involved in student ministries. There's all kinds of student ministries. Don't let sports and extracurricular activities keep them away from either a church group or young life or something. They need to be plugged into something. Or when they get to college, you'll lose them. And then during the summer, even though there's all kinds of other sports stuff, get them to some type of Bible camp or something. They'll be around other believers, and that will serve them well for the rest of their life. That's not in the Bible. I'm just giving you some pointers. Verse 10, for it is for this that we labor and strive. And this word strive here, the original Greek is the word that we actually get agonized from, agony. We ought to be striving towards understanding God's will and learning more about him and drawing closer to him through prayer and scripture. He says, because we have fixed our hope on the living God, who is the savior of all men, especially of believers. Now, this little last part, there's been a lot of ink written as to how do you interpret this? There's some who want to say, see, I told you. God saves all men. Jesus saves all men. So it's universalism. Everyone's going to heaven. See, it says it right there. It says, Jesus, he is the living God. He's the savior of all men. Everyone's going to heaven. That's not what this says. Because if it said everyone's going to heaven and especially believers are going to heaven, well, that doesn't make sense at all. See, there's sort of two schools of thought on what this could mean. The first, which I think is a little stretch, but I'll give it to you anyway. Even non-believers experience God's blessings in this life, okay? So even though they're not saved, 
they still experience part of God's blessings in this life. Let me show you what I mean. I'm just going to go over real quick to Matthew 5, 45, because I think this is the best verse to explain what I'm saying. There's other verses, but let me just flip over there real quick. First gospel, you don't need to go. I'm just going to read one verse. 545 says, For he, being God, causes his son to rise on the evil and the good, that means saved and unsaved, and he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. So in this life, unbelievers still receive blessings from God. Some say that's maybe what he's talking about. I think a better reading of this is that Christ's atoning sacrifice is sufficient to cover the sins of everyone. I think that's what it's saying. His ability to pay for sins, it wasn't like he only had enough to pay for some people's sins. He got it done for everyone, whoever will place their faith in him as their Savior. For anyone who acknowledges that they can't get there on their own and they need a Savior, they can't do it, but Christ can. For anyone who places their faith in Jesus, his atoning sacrifice is sufficient. I think that's the better reading. If you want to look at Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, which I've referred you to so many times, it's a gift, and all we have to do is receive it. There's no works that go into it at all. It's not by our works. We should have good works after we have faith because now we have the Holy Spirit living in us to help us do good works, but our works don't earn our salvation. Okay, I hope I cleared that one up. Verse 11, prescribe and teach these things. So tell people, do it gently, but tell them. Verse 12, let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, show yourself an example of those who believe. Well, this verse probably doesn't apply to me because I'm an old man, but Timothy here, many people say he was probably in his 30s at this point, and in that culture then, you were considered a youth, anyone under 40, and so that's probably what he's teaching. Remember, Timothy is his protege. And he's saying, look, don't let anyone look down on you because of your age. You can make an impact on God's kingdom. Pour into people. And anyone listening to this who may be much younger, maybe high school or college, even though because of your age, you can still pour into people who are younger than you. You can have a kingdom impact through your speech and by the way you conduct yourself. So no matter where you are, God has you where you are and use the relationships and the station in life that he's given you to help impact others and build the kingdom. Be an instrument for God. He says, show yourself an example of those who believe, which means just unwavering commitment to Christ. And he talks about purity, which probably means sexual purity. Nothing destroys a pastor's credibility or a minister's credibility quicker than lack of sexual purity. So many churches have been destroyed by that. Verse 13, until I come, give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and teaching. Now, let me talk about this. Paul certainly intended to return to Ephesus when he left. That's where he left Timothy. That's who he's writing And he's telling Timothy to keep preaching and teaching Scripture to the congregation, explain it and apply it. But what comes to my mind, there's so many churches today that don't do this. In fact, the church I grew up in, they would read maybe one or two verses out of Scripture. But then when you go to the, they called it a homily, the sermon, it didn't even touch on what was read in Scripture. 
It didn't even talk about it. It was about some other something. It wasn't explaining scripture. It was just, you know, it was like, what is this? And I've been to other churches that do the same thing. I mean, they're kind of motivational talks, maybe, in some cases. But they're not even explaining scripture. If you're in a church like that and you keep going and you're wondering why you're not getting anything out of it and you've been going for a long time, are they teaching and explaining scripture? That's what Paul is saying here, to teach and explain scripture. 14, do not neglect the spiritual gift within you, which was bestowed upon you through prophetic utterance with the laying on of hands by the presbytery. Okay, so this is talking about Timothy. The elders probably laid hands on Timothy not to impart anything to him, but it symbolized the sending him out. There's nothing written in Scripture that I can find that details really how that happened, how this prophecy was given to Paul and the elders to then send Timothy out. Today, the call to ministry, it's not really by prophetic utterance to others. God puts it on your heart. And certainly other people pray for you to put that on your heart. That's certainly how I came to do the ministry that I'm doing now. God put that on my heart big time. That's what he wanted me to do. I've never felt so confident that I am doing exactly what God wanted me to do. But when I was in business, I felt confident that God had me there. And the business setting was my ministry then. And now it's the ministry that he's given me. And that's the way it takes place today. Verse 15, take pains with these things, be absorbed in them, so that your progress may be evident to all. So everyone should continue to grow in their faith, and it should be evident to other people. It should be evident to you. If you haven't made progress in your faith, like if you've been a Christian for more than five years and you don't feel that you have grown in your understanding of Scripture and your personal relationship with Jesus from where you were five years ago, something's wrong. Please call me and let's talk about it and figure out what that is because there ought to be, that's part of this sanctification process that we talk about. It's continuing. It isn't always going to be, you know, like straight up. You'll have ups and downs, but there ought to be a trajectory where you're growing in your faith and in your knowledge and personal relationship with the Lord. Verse 16, pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching which I do. I take this very seriously, what I teach here. I never want to be teaching something that is not correct. Persevere in these things, for as you do this, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. He's saying manage your life well, be absorbed in the ministry that God gives you. And when I say ministry, I'm talking about your work, wherever God has you. Be aware that God has you there for a reason, wherever you are. This isn't just talking about pastors. This is talking about God has you where he has you, the relationships that you're in for some reason, the children he's given you, your spouse, your relatives, your friends, your coworkers. They're all around you for a reason. God has you there for a reason. And so he's saying, as I started out and I showed you earlier, and we'll get to it over in 2 Timothy 4, be prepared when convenient and when not convenient. When he taps on your heart and asks you to say something, say something. It says it may bring salvation to those who hear you. So you have the ability to change other people's eternity. It's not you. It's the Holy Spirit working through you. I understand that. But being available to be his instrument. That's something I pray every morning before I even put my feet on the floor to get out of bed. It's like, well, you woke me up. 
I'm available. Use me today. However you want to use me, I'm available. I'm not saying I always do it, but I'm at least asking him to use me. I'm available. So just to kind of summarize in some application here, perseverance is evidence of saving faith. So when we go through difficult trials, I didn't show you. Let me just go over there real quick. Matthew 13, and we've looked at this so many times, but let me show it to you again because it's a great parable to remember. This is Jesus teaching through parables, and I'm going to start and and go over there. I'm going to be there for a minute. First gospel, Matthew 13. I'm going to begin in verse 3. Jesus says, Behold, the sower went out to sow, and he sowed some seeds. Some seeds fell beside this road, and the birds came and devoured them. Others fell upon the rocky places where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up because they had no depth of soil. But when the sun had arisen, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And others fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked them out. And others fell on the good soil and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. So four results. What this parable is teaching is the four possible results of hearing the gospel. Okay? That's what he's teaching. There's four possible results, and he's going to explain it. Drop down to verse 18. Jesus is going to explain it. Hear then the parable of the sower. When one hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, The evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is the one whom the seed was sown beside the road. So this is the person who hears the gospel and rejects it immediately. Says, I don't need that. I mean, that must be your crutch. When I hear people tell me that, I said, it's more than my crutch, man. It is my life support, you know. I couldn't live without it. So this is the person who rejects the gospel immediately out of hand. Now we're going to hear the next two. And the next two are examples of people who initially are sort of infatuated with it. Sounds like it's kind of cool. They want to be in with the cool crowd, but they don't really have saving faith. Okay, verse 20. And the one on whom seed was sown on the rocky places, this is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. So it's superficial. The circumstances were right, but it's not true saving faith. It's just infatuation or an interest. Yet he has no firm root in himself, but is only temporary. And when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he falls away. We all know examples of this. People who say that they're Christians, and man, as soon as something really tough in their life comes along, maybe they lose a spouse, maybe they lose a child, whatever it is, they say, if that's God, I don't want any part of him. And they are gone, out of here. Okay, that's what this one's talking about. They didn't ever have saving faith to begin with. They're rejecting Christ now. Okay, that's the second one. The third one, verse 22, And the one on whom seed was sown among the thorns, this is the man who hears the word, and the worry of the world and the deceitfulness of riches chokes out the word, and it becomes unfruitful. This is the one, same thing, not saving faith to begin with, kind of seemed the cool thing to do, infatuated. They start making a lot of money or they're enticed away by the culture and the things that they want to do, their fleshly desires, and they don't need God anymore. They're gone. But the fourth soil we see in verse 23, this is the good ground, and the man who hears the word and understands it, he bears fruit and brings forth some a hundredfold, some 60, some 30. This is a true believer, and what this shows is we all have different gifts, and God has us in different places. I'll never be a Billy Graham. I'm not going to be somewhere and have hundreds and hundreds of people 
at least it hasn't happened yet. Hundreds and hundreds of people come down for an altar call and accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. But that's where God had Billy Graham. He was the hundredfold guy. I'll never be a Billy Graham, but God still has a place for me. So don't compare yourself against Billy Graham or someone else. Compare yourself to the situation, what God gave you. That's how we're going to be judged, the opportunities and the gifts that God gave you. Be on alert for false teaching. It's everywhere. So compare everything to Scripture. And whenever you hear people talking about rules and legalism and things that you got to do in order to be saved, that is just a distortion of grace. And it really gives them a way to try to give credit to themselves for their salvation rather than realizing that it's nothing that we did. It's all about what Jesus did for us. Use the spiritual gifts that God's given to us to lead others to Christ and to serve others. And even young people can influence others and help them be saved. Pursue spiritual maturity and boldly and peacefully call out false teaching because it's everywhere around us in our culture. And flee from any church that distorts the truth. There's many pastors that right now are just instruments of Satan. I told you I was going to show you. I'll just leave it at that given the time. What questions or comments might you have? I just had one thought. It's a small one, but it's clarification. When it talks about devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, during these times, the actual Bible didn't exist, right? Old Testament did. So the Old Testament did, right? And the Scripture would be then New Testament, I guess, perspective. It would be the Jesus' teachings yes. at that time. Yes. It would be Paul's letters. In, any letters that would have been written by then, right. yes. So those mm-hmm. were the scriptures of the time. Yes. In addition to the Old Testament. In addition, correct. Okay. And remember, the Old Testament points to Jesus Christ as well. Good question. What else? If you don't have anything, I'm going to give you something more. Okay, one more thing before we close it out, because I told you I was going to point this out. And this is so important because a lot of people don't understand this, and I'm going to keep explaining it because it can get confusing. Everyone will face judgment. Everyone. Everyone will have a bodily resurrection and live into eternity. Everyone. Everyone. The people who will live in hell for eternity are non-believers. The only difference, we're all sinners, all of us, right? The only ones who live in eternity with Jesus are those who place their faith in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. It isn't because of anything they did. And there's so many religions that think, well, no, the division is going to be, I did a little more than everybody else. Like God grades on a curve and I did enough good things that I get in, but you don't because, you know, I did one more better act than you did. No, that's not what the Bible says. It is solely on the basis of placing your faith in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation. Okay? So there's two judgments, two different judgments that take place. Believers go to a judgment that is called the judgment seat of Christ, okay? That judgment, we are not judged for salvation. Our salvation is assured. As Christians, we are going to heaven. Let me show you one of the verses on the judgment seat of Christ. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. For we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ, and this is talking about believers, that each one may be recompensed for the deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. So what this is talking about is we will be judged, not for salvation, 
but we will be judged to determine our rewards in heaven and what responsibilities we will have in the kingdom. We will have jobs and responsibilities in the millennial kingdom for sure of what we will be doing. There's other verses. I've gone into this in more detail before, but I'm just covering this briefly to refresh your memory. So that's the judgment seat of Christ that believers go through, okay? Non-believers go through a judgment called the great white throne judgment. The great white throne judgment is not for us. Let me show you where that is. Go over to Revelation, and that is over in Revelation chapter 20, and it is verse 11. It says, And I saw a great white throne in him who sat upon it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away. No place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne. And the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. These are non-believers. Because when this is happening, believers have already been raptured up. We're already with Jesus. This is just the people who are dead. These are non-believers who are now facing their judgment at the great white throne judgment. And you can see, verse 13, every one of them is judged according to their deeds. They're judged just the way they wanted. They aren't judged on the basis of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. They want to do it their way. They're judged on the basis of their deeds. And here's what happens. They're basically all thrown into the lake of fire. They don't make it. Verse 15, and if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, the only way you can get in the book of life is if you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, then he was thrown into the lake of fire. Every non-believer will go before the great white throne judgment. They'll be judged according to their deeds, just how they wanted. They thought there was going to be a grading curve. None of them make it. They're all going to be disappointed. So there you go. What else? Get that right. Got to get it right. I think disappointed doesn't quite capture it. (laughs) That's fair. (laughs) That is fair. Yeah. Rude awakening. Which, again, I'd take you back to my dream of where I had died and gone to heaven, you know, where I was standing in the line, and there were people over in another line that were going to the gates of hell, and they were yelling at me, Larry, why didn't you tell us what we needed to do while we were still alive so we could be in that line with you? That has really impacted me. And so there's nobody that I know that I don't want to at least have shared the gospel with. I don't want anybody yelling at me across that abyss. Thank you for joining us today. Larry would love to hear from you. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach out to Larry at LarryO'Donnell.com. You can also sign up to receive this weekly podcast and Larry's weekly blog at LarryO'Donnell.com. We hope you will join us next time as we continue our study.